0: So this is Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 10 through to 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare fearlessly as I should. Good morning, everyone. Uh, I have a great
1: privilege to share God's word this morning. Uh, Let's seek God's blessing on this, his word. Gracious and glorious heavenly father, Almighty Son and Wonderful Spirit, I come to this task today very weak and needy. Lord, your people are hungry, needing your word and the empowerment of your spirit. Would you give me a heart that's uplifted for grace and power, that your word will enter into the depths of our hearts and produce a harvest of righteousness and fruitfulness that honours your name. Please, gracious Father, may none of us leave untouched by your spirit this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, for the nation of Israel, October the 7th was a dark day. Over 1,200 men, women and children were brutally murdered. It was a wicked assault that ignited a war And in this war, thousands have been killed, uh, many more injured. Uh, People have been left uh, left destitute, uh, homeless and in much distress. I'm not sure about yourself, but from my perspective, I sit uh, in my lounge room or I watch on my screen here in Launceston this battle going on. And I give thanks to the Lord that I am not suffering such a horrendous assault, attack and indeed the experience of outright warfare. And I'm sure you would agree, praise God. It's my observation that we hold the same belief when it comes to spiritual warfare. What I mean by this is, is I don't think as Christians we doubt that there are spiritual powers in a spiritual battle. But we sometimes act as if the spiritual battle is happening somewhere else to other people. Because our enemies are unseen, and because we live in a culture that denies the spiritual, and indeed it promotes demons, the devil, and evil as fiction to entertain us, we can be lulled into a false reality. We can go about our day-to-day lives as Christians as if we don't have wicked and powerful enemies who rage against us and roam amongst us. Formidable enemies who are seeking to tempt, influence, and undermine the work of a gospel in all of our lives. In the passage that Joel just read out to us, God, in his mercy, does something wonderful. He he draws back the curtain. And for a moment, we have revealed to us the unseen spiritual realities. He's showing us that there are evil and spiritual forces at work in this world. More importantly for us, he gathered this morning, God reveals to us that every Christian is engaged in a struggle. Some may call it a battle, and I don't think that's wrong at all. But from my perspective, a battle's won. Christ has won. We're in a struggle. And our struggle is with evil spiritual beings who possess formidable power. Let me read to you verses 11 and 12. Please follow. These verses make plain the identity of our enemy. The rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world and the evil forces of evil in the heavenly realm are no less the devil and his demons. And we are told that the Christian is in a struggle against these powers. And I think quite shockingly we're told here it's easy to miss But I think it's shocking that our struggle is not against human enemies or forces, but spiritual ones who are evil and powerful. I just want to make mention at this moment, please don't hear me wrong, these verses are not to incite fear, and I hope they don't. Nor are these verses to undermine the confidence we have in a victory in Christ. Praise God, And, and I will come to this soon. But they're intended to wake us up. God is telling us we are in the midst of a real spiritual battle. And while we face enemies that are most certainly defeated, they are still formidable. What these verses do not do is they do not reveal to us the precise nature of the devil's schemes and attacks. And I think much more helpful, rather than me speculating or speaking from personal experiments, let's look at the scriptures. How does the scriptures describe to us the schemes of the devil and the attacks that he brings upon us? Well, in Revelation 12, we read the account of the devil's attempt to destroy the Christ child at birth. And we know, of course, through scripture that he didn't succeed. What we're told in verse 17 of Revelation chapter 12 is that the devil, in his fury and anger, because he was frustrated and could not destroy the Christ child, turns his anger to the offspring of of a woman, which is clearly the church in Revelation. According to Revelation 12, Satan rages against the church. We're told in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9 that Satan, our enemy, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Satan exercises his rage by seeking to destroy that which God loves so dearly, and that's his people. He seeks to hinder the progress of a gospel both in our lives and in the world. For example... We're told in Ephesians chapter 1 that God's divine plan is to sum up all things in the entire universe in Christ. What a glorious vision that one day everything will be summed up in Christ. He will be fully glorified, fully made known and fully worshipped. The day of peace and glory and hope and life itself is coming. And so Satan in his rage is doing all he can to oppose this. According to, to the scriptures, the way our enemy is seeking to, to do this work is through inward temptations and outward attacks and assaults. It's not for nothing that the scriptures describe Satan as the father of lies and the evil one. Because error and evil is how he works. The spiritual forces of evil are always seeking to lead us to indulge in error and evil. Satan wants to think wrongly about God and the gospel and lead us into the evil that that characterises him. Error and evil was at the heart of the temptations that the Lord Jesus experienced. It's also at the heart of the wicked temptations we experience. It's not for nothing that later on here in this chapter of Ephesians, did you notice the first two pieces of armour? The belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. Truth and holiness. And we see the reason for this throughout the New Testament. Let me give you an example. Paul tells Timothy that the false teachers within the church are following the teachings of demons. And he goes on to describe his opponents who are in the church as being taken captive by the devil to do his will. When Jesus says to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, it's because Peter spoke the error of the evil one. In fact, in Ephesians, ungodly behavior we're told gives the devil a foothold, which means that when we give in to the temptation to do that which dishonors God in evil, we give Satan the ability to influence our lives and our souls for harm. In Corinthians, unforgiveness in the church is described as the scheme of the evil one. So what I mean by this, as we look through the New Testament, if Satan can tempt us to believe or tolerate error, if he can lead us to indulge in or tolerate evil, he will succeed in hindering the work of the gospel in our lives. And if error and evil is left unchecked and unrepented from, it will devour us. Remember, the devil is described as a murderer from the beginning. This is just an aside. But do you remember how Jesus taught us to pray? Lead us from temptation and deliver us from evil. Why? because temptation is your greatest weakness and evil is your greatest danger. Lord, lead me this day from that which would injure my soul. Deliver me from the evil of the evil one, the evil of my own heart and the evil of the world. This is a prayer I constantly pray for myself. I pray for my family, for you. Christ called us to pray this way for a reason. Temptation and evil, our greatest weakness, our greatest danger. Now, the reason why I've taken time to expound verses 11 and 12, again, is neither to frighten us, but to awaken us. My sisters and brothers, there is a real spiritual struggle that we are in, if you are a Christian, and our enemies most certainly are defeated, but they are still formidable and powerful. They are enemies who are hell-bent on destroying our lives, our relationships, our faith, by leading us into error and evil. Which means, amongst many other things, for us gathered here today. As Christians, at the branch and beyond, our struggle is not political, is it? Our struggle is not social. Our struggle is not against the legislators of our land, the social commentators. Our struggle is not against the influencers of the educators of a journalists or those on the left or those on the right. Our struggle is against the, the evil one and his demons who are behind them. And we'll come to this shortly. But this spiritual reality ought to govern and guide how we live and function as followers of Jesus, both individually and corporately. Now, what is true for the church generally is especially true for those whom the Holy Spirit has appointed to lead and minister amongst his people. Uh, Stephen and Annie, you are most certainly uh, an answer uh, of our prayers to our loving God. Uh, He has opened the door of opportunity for you to come amongst us. I'm just making sure, where are you? Yes, thank you, sorry. Thank you. Stephen, God has set you apart to minister amongst us, and from what I read in the, in the scriptures, your ministry is a ministry of prayer, the word, and pastoring. Through this ministry, you'll be seeking to lead us in the truth of a gospel and holiness of life. Every servant in the scripture who is a good servant is seeking to uphold truth and holiness. And because that is your commitment you are in a struggle against the spiritual forces of evil who will stop at nothing to hinder your ministry. And that leads us today to the important question of how can you, and in fact how can I and how can all of us here, stand firm against the schemes, power and temptations of the power of darkness? Would you look with me at verses 10 and 11? Finally, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. These verses are liberating. Do you know what Paul doesn't call us to do? He doesn't call us to defeat the devil and his demons. He's already done that. The call is to stand firm against In fact, in this passage, you might have noticed, it's mentioned four times. The whole purpose is that God is leading us, that we stand firm in this spiritual battle. Uh, praise God, because he's not only defeated the, 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 our, our, our horrible enemies, but through his death and, and resurrection, their end is coming. Their end is, is, is a rock solid. They will be separated from all that is God and be sent into the abyss, into hell, one day. But while their end is coming, it's still yet to come. And so between now and then, we need to stand firm, don't we? How do we do this? It's through the strength and mighty power of a risen and exalted Lord Jesus. The strength to stand firm in the midst of this spiritual struggle does not come within ourselves. It comes from the one who in Ephesians chapter 1 is described as he who has been raised from the dead is seated at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly realms far above all rule, authority and power and dominion not only in the present age but in the age to come. Praise God! Well, the the spiritual powers may have a measure of of power, but they are no match for the one who sits at God's right hand. My sisters and brothers, the Lord Jesus Christ died and rose again. Through his death and resurrection, not only is your sin washed away, not only is, is your guilt taken away, your shame covered, and not only are your sins remembered no more, But through the power of Christ, even death has been defeated, and so has all the enemies who we stand against. I need to confess to you this morning that I cannot adequately describe to you the height, the depth, and the length and the breadth of the power of the Lord Jesus. You know, I really wish I could, but it's beyond my knowledge and understanding. I've just shared with you a glimpse But what I can do is take you to Matthew 28. Do you remember that Jesus is about to ascend into heaven? Do you remember what he said to his disciples? All the authority in heaven and earth has now been given to me. Do you know what that means for us here this morning? All the authority and power of the entire universe is now mediated through Christ. Now again, my mind can't fully comprehend this, but what I do know is that in the power of Christ alone, we can stand firm against all the spiritual forces of evil on earth and in heaven because Jesus is the risen Lord who reigns over all. Friends, no matter what temptation is hurled at you, no matter what doubt is whispered in your ear, no matter what attack you're injured with by the evil one, in the power of Christ, you have all confidence to stand firm, unmoved, and victorious, and praise God. What this means for us as God's people here today is that while we most certainly struggle against formidable and powerful forces, we do so with complete confidence in the power of a risen Lord Jesus Christ. So take heart, my sisters and brothers. Do not fear. Everything you need to stand against the evil one and to stand firm in the midst of of the terrible inward temptations he throws at you, the horrible outward assaults in which he attacks you, is provided through the strength and power of the Lord Jesus. Amen. What is true for the church generally is especially true for those whom the Holy Spirit has appointed to lead and minister amongst us. Stephen and Annie, while the forces of evil are strong, the strength and the power of Christ is infinitely stronger. And I mean infinitely stronger. When the day of evil comes, and what I mean by that, in on those days when the intensity of the enemy's attack seem seemingly unbearable, know that Christ is in you. You possess everything you need to stand firm in the Lord Jesus. Take heart. And rest assured that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. In his strength and power, you can stand firm no matter how hard the battle becomes. This finally leaves us with an important question this this morning. And it's probably, I think, the most important question that arises out of this passage. How are we strengthened by the Lord in his mighty power? How does Christ's infinite power and glorious victory, how is that appropriated into our day-to-day living? According to verses 11 to 13, by putting on the full armour of God. Let me read verse 13. Therefore, put on the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. Friends, Paul makes it crystal clear that believers do not empower themselves. They depend upon the mighty power of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he shares with us through his armour. Did you notice in this passage, it is God's armour, not ours. So by putting on his full armour, we share in his mighty power. This is the power that enables, quite frankly, weak feeble, vulnerable and, 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 and broken human beings like you and I to withstand the vile and deadly assaults of the powerful evil and spiritual forces that rage against us and roam amongst us. While Christ is most certainly always our strength, he uses means to strengthen us, doesn't he? And in these verses, the means is God's armour. Now, according to the Apostle Paul... The armour of God is nothing less than these glorious things. Truth, righteousness, the gospel, faith, salvation, the word of God and prayer. Do you know what this means? The person who, who loves the Lord Jesus, the believer, who in their life seeks to uphold truth and pursue righteousness... The believer who believes in the gospel, exercises their faith, resting in God alone for salvation. The believer who comes under his word and praise in the spirit will be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Come what may, that believer will stand firm against the temptation and attacks of the evil one. However, the believer who compromises truth Who tolerates evil, who doubts the gospel, who allows faith to wane, who ignores humility, who neglects the word, who fails to call upon the Lord in prayer. That believer will not stand against the power of darkness. What does this mean for us here this morning? Friends, let me firstly speak to us as a church family. Hear the word of the Lord. Put on the full armour of God. Now you might ask me, how do you do that? This is where I will be personal. Let me share with you how I do this. I pray. Almighty Lord Jesus, Son of God, Son of Man, I confess to you today my faith is feeble. My knowledge is full of ignorance and my strength is riddled with weakness. I cannot stand in my own strength against the temptations and the assaults of the evil one. In your mercy and the might of your power, lead me this day to uphold truth, never tolerating evil. Lead me this day to pursue holiness, never tolerating evil. Lord, thank you for the gospel which brings me peace May I hold fast, believing your gospel, always humbling myself before you, that I'll look to you and you alone for salvation and nothing of me. Lord, may I take your spirit and powered word to heart. May I believe it and obey it, that I'll be the good soil that produces good fruit. Lord, as I look to you, please bear witness to me through faith that I'll no more deeply the certainty of things unseen and the surety of things hoped for, that that, that my faith would extinguish the the doubts of of my enemy. Father, when I pray, may I pray in the Spirit. May the Spirit lead my praying. May my prayers be heavenly prevailing prayers that I will bless others. Lord, may the person who's preaching at the branch this Sunday give them the boldness to bear an honest testimony about you so that we will be built up by divine truth, none of us leaving without being touched by the Spirit. My sisters and brothers, I don't have a lot of answers when it comes to how we put on the armour. My only answer is that we pray and we pour out our hearts to God seeking truth and holiness and humility and belief and faith under the word and in prayer. And I know that our God is a good and generous God who will hear our prayers. My sisters and brothers, you might notice in verses 18 and 20, prayer is given the most amount of room in this whole passage about the armour of God it's not for nothing that out of all all of the different points that Paul gives to us prayer takes the most space and this is purposeful Paul calls us to pray on all occasions to keep praying for all the believers especially those who declare the word why like you got to just think why are we to be praying like this because we're in a spiritual battle Stephen will face, and indeed all our elders will face, the attack of the evil one because they love Jesus. They love the gospel. They want to lead us. And so we need to pray, both for us and for them. And it's God's armour. Call upon him to to put it on us. And I know he will. Uh, That indeed is his promise. Now, I, I would like... Nothing more than to expound to you the meaning of the various pieces of armour in this passage, but I don't have time this morning. Um, but I actually felt it was too important to pass over. So what I've done, I've made a little addendum to this uh, sermon, like a part two, and I've recorded that section, and it's on the website. So if you want to have a bit more, uh, uh, hear a bit more of each piece of armour explained, it's on the website for you. Um, I just thought it would be too long. Um, today it's called our struggle part two and thanks cam for putting it up there now friends what is true for the church generally is especially true for those whom the holy spirit has appointed to lead and minister amongst us as his people stephen and annie hear the word of the lord today may truth and holiness belief in the gospel humble but dependence upon god the preaching of a word of God, faith and prayer, not only characterise your lives, but your ministry amongst us. Call upon the Lord, the gracious Lord, to enable you to put on his armour. And remember, he has promised to give you anything you've asked according to his will. Stephen, the only thing that the Apostle Paul ever asked for for himself in the scriptures, apart, I think, from Luke to get his jacket or something, was prayer. See, he knew to preach the gospel fearlessly and to speak God's word clearly was beyond human ability, and it truly is. It's beyond mine, it's beyond yours or any of us. So our encouragement is keep humbling yourself before the Lord in prayer, seeking from him everything you need to preach the gospel fearlessly and clearly. Because you can just take a look around us this morning and we are hungry sheep. We are in desperate need of God's word in our lives. And please be assured that we uphold you and Annie and Jesse and Heidi in prayer. We have all been constantly praying for you and will continue. Uh, Friends, there are many things we can do to support the youngs, but let me tell you the most important thing we can do. We can call upon the Lord to bless them and that he will bless us through them. Let me finish. I'm 54 years old. Oh, no, 53. Yeah, got that wrong. (laughs) And I've come to realise this world is much, much darker and much, much more evil than than any of us realise. I long for the day when God's kingdom will come. Right, that day when sin and Satan and evil will be cast out. And that day's coming. I long for the day when the city of Zion, the city of God, with its heavenly joys, its beauty of holiness, and its eternal life power will be the place of my home. That's what I'm yearning for. But until that day, my sisters and brothers, let us stand firm against our horrible spiritual enemies in the strength and the power of our risen Lord Jesus Christ.